Well, if you would remain standing, we're going to read a bit of scripture here in just a second. My name is Daniel, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor to get to share with you uh, this week. Uh, Today, we're kicking off. By the way, if you have your Bible, let me do this first. If you have your Bible, uh, you have your smartphone, pull out right now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today, Luke chapter 15. I can hear all the electronic pages rustling as we turn to Luke 15 right now. It's an old school church joke, by the way. If you didn't get that, that is okay. We're starting a brand new series today called The Nuns. The Nuns, this is not a series, unfortunately, about the movie Sister Act. Um, I know I all, you know, no, no Whoopi Goldberg references past this point um, that I know of. Um, we probably should do a series about Sister Act one day, but today is not that day. But this series is going to be preparing us for our upcoming anniversary service. We are so excited about that. Playlist is going to be returning that, uh, that day on the 17th. We have some awesome songs picked out uh, this week, second week in particular. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that week. It's going to be awesome. You are not going to want to miss it. So as we get ready for that, we're going to be talking about the nuns. We explain what the heck that is here in just a moment. But today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I just encourage you to grab your smartphone, download version. That's probably the best Bible app, I think, on the app stores, version. Uh, if not, we, you know, we'd love to give you a Bible. Just uh, come see us. But if not, just, just listen to these words. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is much joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God for who you are, your goodness today. And God, I just pray that, that's my prayer for today, is God, that we would leave here today with a better understanding of your heart, of your nature, of your goodness for us. And God, you've already revealed so much of that to us in worship and, and through Wendy sharing, God. And, and you're, you've already been here. You've already spoken, God. I just pray you would continue to do so. So right now, we open up our hearts to hear from you, God. We open up our minds to receive from you. Push us today. Challenge us today. Speak to us today, God. And if you're ready to hear from God today. Can I get a big amen? amen? Awesome. You guys can be seated. So I recently celebrated my uh, 35th birthday a few weeks ago, and um, thank you. No one clapped during first service, and it was super awkward. So thank you guys for helping me out there. And, um, you know, so 35, just another day, right? I mean, you get to a point, you know, where you celebrate birthdays, or just kind of another day to hit those big milestone decade years and all that. So 30, just another day for me. And, um, you know, it's the little things in life, though, that tell you you're getting older. Is it not? I mean, so, you, you know, you, you, just, you, you don't feel older, but then you, you, you get these harsh reminders, like cruel reminders about getting older. And so this happened for me after I turned 35. Like I said, I didn't feel any different, didn't think any different. But I was filling out an online survey, uh, you know, one of those things that companies send you because uh, you're going to win $1,000 for filling this out. I'm still waiting for that check, but maybe one day it'll come. And, uh, you know, so I'm feeling out at the end of every survey, you know what you have to do, right? You have to put your age in. And, and so for my entire adult life, my age was 18 to 34. 
And I was happy with that. Man, I'm hanging out with teenagers, you know, cool millennials, those people that wear skinny jeans and like the thick glasses. Man, I'm one of you. I'm with you, my peeps, you know? And, uh, but then all of a sudden I go to fill it out and I realize, oh, that's, that's not my bubble anymore. Now I have to click a different bubble. Okay, 35 to 40, 40 what? 35 to 44, that, this can't be right, this can't be me. You know, I'm supposed to be hanging out with cool college kids, not people who are planning the Roth IRAs. You know, that's not my, this is not my life. And then, you know, it's a harsh reminder. And then all of a sudden you realize, I am, I am getting old. You know, getting ready for, for bed at night. And, uh, you know, I'm looking in the mirror. And I know I'm, I'm dressed well, so I'm, I'm covering it now, hopefully. But, you know, it's like you look in the mirror and you realize, wow, there's things getting bigger and pudgier than they, they used to be. And, and in our, our house, you know, we're affectionately starting to term this the rice belly. And uh, that's not my kids who came up with that. That was my wife, you know, so thanks, thanks, honey. Uh, you know, I'm at, I'm at Noah's uh, birthday party. Pastor Eric's son, uh, Pastor Eric, the guy leading worship uh, for us this morning, his son Noah had a birthday party, and uh, it was a Nerf gun party. So, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out there, and, and Noah comes and shoots me with a Nerf gun. Now, every man in here, you know, if a child shoots you with a Nerf gun, about, there, there has to be some retribution, some retaliation. You cannot let that stand. You have to put said child in his place, right? So I'm like, all right, Noah, it's on. You know, I go to grab a Nerf gun, but when I do, I bend down to pick up the Nerf gun. I kid you not, kid you not. I also, I got in a little bit of this, a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of this before I went to chase him because I thought if I go chase him cold, I'm going to pull something and I'm not going to miss my opportunity to speak Sunday because I pulled a muscle and I can't get out of bed because I went and chased after an eight-year-old without stretching. Got to stretch first, you know, got to 35 to 44. It's a whole different world. So, so anyway, there's, there's a, a survey result that, that's just as terrifying. Oh, okay, it's probably not just as terrifying, but, but something that, that's even more scary, that, that survey-oriented, that, that I want to share with you guys today. And this is kind of the, the theme for our series. So recently... In 2014, there was a survey called the Religious Landscape Study, the Religious Landscape Study, and this was done by the Pew Research Center. So this is a legitimate nationwide survey. This was not a Facebook poll. You know, this was a legitimate nationwide survey done by the Pew Research Center called the 2014 Religious Landscape Study. And what they found is really eye-opening. They found that 23% of respondents, so 23% of all the people identified as unaffiliated. And Pew would go on to term these people the religious nuns, the religious nuns. And that is what we're going to be talking about in this series for, the, for this week and next week. We're going to be talking about these religious nuns, people who have no religious affiliation. They don't identify as Christian. They don't identify as uh, Buddhist or Muslim. They, just, they don't identify. They're, they're re- religious nuns, unaffiliated. I don't believe in God. I don't know about God. I'm not sure. I don't do any church things religiously unaffiliated. Now, I know saying that 23% doesn't sound like a whole lot. Like, for example, if I say, hey, you give me $1,000 right now, and I will give you a 23% chance of winning the lottery. No one would take me up on that. If you do want to take me up on that, by the way, please come see me after service. I'll be happy to hook you up with that. But 23% doesn't sound like a lot. But if we dig in deeper to these numbers, it becomes more terrifying. 35% of these people, by the way, were millennials. You know, that generation I used to be a part of, apparently. 35%, and 
that, you know, that, that's really high. And the scary thing about that is it's the highest it's ever been for the young generation. Because you may think, oh, you know, young people, they're just not interested in God. But, but that's the highest it's ever been for a young generation. And, and so I want to put these numbers just in perspective. So 23% of Americans are religiously unaffiliated. 23% of Americans are the nuns. But when you, when you look at the population of America, this translates to 70 million people in America woke up this morning. They don't believe in God. They don't know if a God exists. If they don't care if God exists. They're jaded towards all organized religion. They're jaded towards the church. They're jaded towards Christians. They think it's all a bunch of hooey. They think we're just here wasting our time. They have no idea what's going on here. They have no understanding of, of why we get up on Sunday and why we do all it. It's just, it's just absolutely, it's Greek. It's foreign to them. 70 million people this morning. That's 70 Tulsa metro areas. 70 Tulsa metro areas woke up this morning completely unaffiliated. And it's just such, it's just such an overwhelming number. It's such an overwhelming statistic. We think, God, what's, what's your plan? How, how do you plan on, re- you know, what's your plan to reach all of these people? What's your plan on reaching the nuns. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because, you know, I, I, all of us, that, that figure seems so overwhelming and just so insurmountable. It's like a mountain that's too high to ever climb. But the truth is, to break it down, all of us in this room, we have nuns in our life. We have people in our life that are far from God. We have maybe there are people that used to go to church or used to believe in God at one point, but they're far from God right now. And there's people at your work there's people, well, not really at my work, because I work here at the church, I hope not at least, but there's people, there's people at your work that are far from God. There's, there's people on your ball teams that are far from God. There's people in your family that are far from God, parents, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. There's people in your life that are nuns, and God has a plan for them. And as we know as Christ followers, that plan involves us. We know as Christ followers that, that we're called to reach the nuns. We're called to reach people far from God. But let's be honest, let's have some real talk. Most of the time, that thought terrifies us. Most of the time, the thought of sharing our faith is probably one of the top three, if not the top, most intimidating, scariest, strangest thing we would ever do as Christ followers. Prayer, get that. Coming to church, great. But when you ask me to step out of my comfort zone and expose myself and make myself vulnerable and feel awkward and share my faith, it's like, I... push back on that a little bit. Sharing our faith can be really difficult, but we know God has called us to reach this group of people, but it's, it's really difficult. And this thing we call the, the fancy church term we have for it's evangelism, this thing we call evangelism can be really hard. And there's a couple reasons why I think it, it's really hard for us. I think one of the reasons why evangelism is so hard is because honestly, we're just unaware. We're just unaware of the nuns in our life. See, you, when um, you, you get around a circle, all of a sudden, you, know, you only care about really what's in your circle. You know, I was in the 18 to 34 demographic. You know, all I cared about was looking cool. I never looked cool. I'm just kidding. But, you know, when, but, but we, we have a tendency in, in, the, in life and in the church world to just kind of, we get our bubble. And the longer you follow Christ, the more your, your bubble just becomes other people who follow Christ and other people who go to church. And other people who believe in God, and the bubble just kind of gets smaller. And but what happens is we we lose sight of what's happening outside of the bubble. 
We lose sight of what's happening outside of our ecosystem. And so we never even, it never even dawns on us, not because we don't care or not because we're, but, but just because we're in our bubble, it, it just never dawns on us to, to think about the person I work with and whether or not they have a relationship God or just, with God or think about the person that I'm on the ball team with. It just kind of never dawns on us because we're in our bubble and we just kind of assume everyone operates the way we operate in our bubble. And it's easy for us just to become unaware of the people, of the nuns in our life because we're in our bubble. I think another reason why sharing our faith and evangelism is so hard, for some of us, we're not unaware. For some of us, we're very aware, but we feel unable to share our faith. We feel like we don't have the ability to share. You know, it's like I would share my faith, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how to bring it up. I don't know how to have the conversation. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel able to do all of these things. We feel unable to share our faith. And because of that, we've come up in the church world, and if you've been in church for a long time, you're going to know every one of these things. We come up with all these things to help us try to give us the words and to help us share our faith. You guys ever um, seen Christian tracks before? You know, if, if uh, the, the little things that people leave, you know, like on tables or something, for some reason, when every time I go into a Panera, there's some on the urinal, and I'm like, this is not the time to be having deep spiritual conversations with me. This is time and place. This is not it. My favorite one is this one. Um, my favorite, you know, it's, it's a $5 bill on one side and this other side says, disappointed, Satan also deceives, but Jesus saves. And then I love at the very bottom here, it says, given in the spirit of friendship. Uh, no, if you leave this as a tip for a waiter, you are giving this in the spirit of about ready to get punched in the face. You know, this is, this is not given in the spirit of friendship. Um, if you've given one of these, altars will be open at the end of the service. Just come and do some business with God. So, so, you know, we had tracks, we had witnessing classes. Witnessing classes were things where it's like, okay, we're going to teach people how to do evangelism and we're going to teach uh, people how to have conversations that's always steer back to Jesus and always steer it back to heaven and hell. And this is where the whole thing of like, hey, Bill, it's hot today. Well, Bob, you know where else it's hot. You know, it's that, that whole thing. And, and, so, and people try to do street corner evangelism, you know, and, and it's like, because anytime you hold up a sign on a street corner and start yelling really loudly, you look very credible and very, you know, very not insane, right? I mean, everyone takes that person super serious. That's a great way to spread the gospel. You know, and, and, you know, door to door evangelism, we try door to door evangelism, door to door evangelism, you go door, you know, it's like, excuse me, sir, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's like, uh, nope. <laughs> and I'm the pastor, you know? <laughs> It's like, uh, try, try them down the road. Anyway, you know, so, so we, have, we have all these things that we try to do to share our faith. But at the end of the day, it, it's so difficult and it's so awkward and it's so hard. Oftentimes, we just, we just give up. I say, well, I, I just don't know. Maybe God will have to use someone else. And, you know, if I was a Pastor Brad, if I was a Billy Graham or someone like that, God could use me. But I just don't know what to do. So we just kind of give up on it. Or even worse, I think, sharing our faith kind of becomes another thing on the Christian to-do list that we feel like we're failing at. It becomes another thing. It's like, I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. Now I come to church, and Pastor Daniel is going to tell me how I'm not sharing my faith enough. And man, I'm just not doing anything right. I'm an awful Christian. And we just, we just heap all this condemnation and all this guilt upon ourselves. And I want to say today that this right here is a guilt-free zone this morning. This is a condemnation-free zone this morning. So what we're going to be talking about today, hopefully, is just a, a subtle reframing of evangelism, a reframing of sharing our faith in a way that's not forced, that's not awkward, that's not cheesy, that doesn't make you look like a lunatic, but in a way, in a way that, that, 
makes it, that puts the emphasis back on Jesus and puts the emphasis back, and it's not about to-dos, and I'm not going to give you some slick things to do because that stuff doesn't work. So we're going to look at evangelism today in a way. What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at the heart of God because I think if we get a good understanding of who God is, it will help us better understand who we are and how to reach people. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So let's look in. You guys ready? You guys ready to go? Okay, let's look today in our story here in Luke. And I think this story, I chose this story because it gives us such a great picture of God's heart for the nuns. It gives us such a great picture of God's heart for the lost. In verse 1, we're going to pick up the story there. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. These were the worst of the worst. These were the people furthest from God. These were the nuns. And what I love about this is we see people that, that shouldn't really be a tr- like coming to Jesus, shouldn't be you know, hearing him, and they're coming and they're flocking to hear Jesus teach. And what I believe with all of my heart is this. And if you're, if you're not a Christ follower here in this place, I want to talk to you for just a second. Maybe you're here today. You don't even know why you're here. Someone dragged you. Someone bribed you. Maybe there's a steak dinner waiting for you later on today because you, you came to church. And, and you, you're J, you, you don't believe in church. You don't believe in religion. You've met, every Christian you've met is a phony and a hypocrite, and you don't understand what we're doing. People are singing songs here, and man, it is weird to you. You're like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And, and you know, you're, you're just like when, when all this stuff's happening down in Houston with, with, I don't know if you guys have heard, you know, with, with Lakewood Church, and people are just on social media, and they're just like, they won't open their doors. Look at all these churches. They're just after money. They don't really want to help people. And you're like, yeah, that's what I, you know, it's like what I believe my whole, you're here today and you're jaded on all of that. I want to tell you something. Sometimes we look at that with the same amount of skepticism as Christ's followers. But the truth, the truth that I want you to hear today is, is this, is that no matter what you think about church, no matter what you think about religion, no matter what you think about Christians, that the message of Jesus still applies to you because the message of Jesus was never about building a church. It was never about building an organization. It was never about starting a movement. The message of Jesus is about hope. It's about healing. It's about peace. And it's about purpose. That is the message of Jesus. And regardless of what you've been exposed to previously, what you've believed previously, I don't believe there's a person in that 70 million, I don't believe there's a person here in this room that you don't need to find hope through a relationship with God, that you don't need to find healing through the the act of of salvation and through that relationship with God being restored, that you don't need to find peace through uh, relationships with others, and that you don't need to find purpose by giving yourself away in service, that, that God wants hope, healing, peace, a purpose for your life. And that's the message of Jesus. And so regardless of what the church has done or the good or bad, all of that, just set that aside because the message of Jesus is what attracted the tax collectors and the notorious sinners of his day to him. And it's what brings all of us the messed up lot that we are here. It's what brings us here week after week because we need his hope. We need his healing. We need his peace and we need his purpose in our life. That's who Jesus was and that's who Jesus is. And it still attracts today. So in verse 2, we find that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law see what's going on. In verse 2, it says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with, with such sinful people, even eating with them. And it's like, you have to read that like in the church lady voice. Now, I can't do the church lady voice. 
I tried in first service, and it was an awful failure. But, you know, it's just that whole thing of, like, you know, he's eating with sinful people. That, that whole, you know, anyways, Pastor Brad can just ask him to do it later. Um, <laughs> this is why it's so important that we keep talking and that we will, at this church, keep talking about reaching people far from God is because we've all seen and heard of churches and you can, you can hear it just in the tone of this verse where the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the, the religious law, they looked at these sinners and they looked at these tax collectors and it was very much us versus them. It was very much a, we're doing the right thing, we're holy, we're, we're this and that, but look at what they're doing. And if we don't keep having the conversation about reaching lost people, if we don't keep having the conversation about the nuns and, and the right conversation, the conversation about loving them, the conversation about opening our doors to them, the conversation about being aware of them and, and having this conversation, then it's too easy to let the same spirit that the Pharisees and the religious law teachers had creep in, and it can become an us versus them. Become Look at the sin they're doing. Look how bad the world is. Look at the world. Look at culture. Look at what everyone else is doing. But not us, God. Not, we're doing the right thing. I don't know what's going on with them. We can have this tendency here in the church that the more notoriously sinful the world becomes, the, the worse things seem, the more we want to close ranks, the more we want to circle the wagons, and the more we want to shut doors. But the truth of it is, is this is not what Jesus did. Jesus broke bread with them. And if you, I want you to hear this, that Jesus did not take sides. Jesus took a seat. And he sat down, and he ate with them, and he heard their stories, and he listened to them, and he loved them. And it drove the Pharisees and drove the teachers of religious law crazy. But that's who Jesus was. And so because of that, he can see, he can just see how ticked off, you know, the Pharisees are. So he's like, all right, guys, rug time, rug time. You know, it's like, just like in preschool, we're going to have some rug time, story time, everyone pull up a mat, we're going to have a story here, and Jesus is going to break out the story of why he's doing what he's doing. So he gets ready to tell the story to them, and once again, it illustrates his heart for the nuns. And we're going to see some things about God's heart, and then we're going to apply it to our life. And the first thing I want us to understand about God's heart out of the story is this, is that God searches. God searches. In verse 4, Jesus telling this story says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to do what? He'll go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Now, this idea that God searches is so critically important for us to understand. Paul, the Apostle Paul, put it this way in Romans 5 8. He said, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we weren't looking for him, while we didn't care about him, while we didn't even know he existed, God was pursuing us, and God was chasing after us, and God was searching for us. Last week, we talked about surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. Well, those all the days don't just start the moment you walk in church. Those all the days don't just start the minute you decide to become a Christ follower. Those all the days don't just start the minute you clean up your act. All the days means 
all the days. It means from the moment you were born, God was pursuing you. From the moment you came out of your mother's womb, God was after you. And his heart and his mercy and his grace were after you. And every up, every down, God has been trying to use that to get your attention. And God's been trying to use that. Every moment of suffering, every moment of victory, everything in between, God wants to use that to bring you to himself. And you're here, if you're here in this place this morning, it's because God's been searching for you. Because God's been after you and he has not given up on you. There's a fancy Christian term for this concept. It's called provenient grace. And provenient grace is just simply this idea that God has always been after us. That he's always been pursuing us. And that every moment in our life, every up and down, that no one is beyond the pursuit of God. And that's such an important concept for us to understand when it comes to the nuns. Because every one of those 70 million people is... God knows them. It's not just some big faceless entity to God, that God knows them and he's pursuing them. Every person in your life that's far from God, God is pursuing that person. You may have a coworker that is just bitter and crusty and you don't want to get around that person. No one likes that person. You know what? God's been pursuing that person. You may have a son or daughter that you're estranged from, a parent that you can't stand. You don't know why they're the way they are. I want to tell you something. God's pursuing that person. You may have someone on your ball team that seems like they've got everything together and they don't need God. I want to tell you that God is pursuing that person, that God has been pursuing every one of us from the moment we were born. We can't even come to God without his pursuit of us. It starts with him. It ends with him. It's all about him. Our God is a God who searches for us, and he has not for one moment given up on any person. If you're breathing, he has not given up on you. If you have breath in your lungs, there's still hope, there's still time, because God is still searching. This is the God that we serve. He's a searching God. And I want to talk real quickly, I want to talk to Christ followers here because when we read this story. I think we can have a problem with it because in it it says, you know, he has a hundred sheep and he leaves the ninety-nine in the wilderness. And it's like uh, thanks, God. You know, it's like, hey, what about us? You're just going to leave us out in the wilderness. So contextually, real quick, I want you to understand that they group shepherded back in this time. So it wasn't just like, you know, we see in the pictures, like the one guy standing on a hill with the sheep. There, there was a team of people. So the, the people Jesus was speaking to immediately would have understood that he doesn't leave the 99 just defenseless, ready to be picked off by wolves, because that, that wouldn't be loving to them either. So they immediately would have got that. But I think sometimes as we read it in our context, it seems like, hey, he just abandoned us. But what I love about this is it actually shows his heart. For example, if I was at the mall, and I have, I have three kids, by the way, uh, Olivia, Claire, and Andrew, two daughters, and, and my youngest son. And uh, so if we're, at the, if we're at the mall, and I lose Andrew, let's say, but I still have Olivia and Claire, I don't just say, well, I got two out of three. That's good enough. Let's go home. You know? Maybe if I put Andrew's clothes on the dog, my wife won't mind. You know, but she, won't, she won't even know. It's like, look, we can put Andrew in a crate and leave. It's, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it, it, it absolutely, can't even, it's just ridiculous. But this is who our God is. He, he's, he, every person matters to him. And every, every face is a story as, as someone he's searching for. I, I, would, I would put it this way, that every nun is a one to God. Every one of these nuns, every one of these 70 million people, every nun in your life is a one to God, one that he's pursuing, one that he's searching after, one that he came to save. Every nun 
is a one to God. And that's why he searches, and that's why he leaves the 99 to pursue them. So we see that, that God not only searches, but then what does he do when he finds them? God carries. God carries us when he finds them. And we see this in verse 5. It says, when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And I think about that this way, that, you know, it's like every parent, you, you know that your kid has two cries. Your kid has like the fake cry and the real cry, you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes when your kid's playing and doing something stupid, maybe they're jumping off the couch and, and you know, you, you told them not to, but they still do it. And they fall and maybe they hurt themselves a little bit, but they, they give you the fake cry, you know, because they just really want your attention. You, you kind of come over there, but, but you don't, you don't, you know, you kind of scold them a little bit, don't you? It's like, well, I told you not to jump off the couch, you know, dummy, come on. It's like, how many times do I have to tell you, you know, get back up, go, and you're fine, you know, that whole thing. Rub some dirt on it. It's the fake cry. But so my kids are also right now learning how to ride a bike. And uh, you know, one time I remember Olivia fell, and, and it wasn't the fake cry. It was the real cry. And what do you do when the real cry happens? You run over to your kid, and in that moment, you don't scold them. Well, you should have turned the corner better. And all. No, but in the real cry, in that moment, you pick them up, and you love on them. And maybe you carry them home. And, and you, you don't scold them. You don't point. It's, like, it's not like, all right, let me pick up your bike and get home. You know, it's like, but, but you help them out in that situation. You love on them. And I want to tell you, this is who our God is, that our God is a searching God. But what does he do when he finds us? He does not just stand over us and scold us and tell us all the things that we did wrong. He does not just find us and say, there's the way home. Good luck. But he carries us and he picks us up in his love. That's what our God is, because the truth is, church, you and I were too weak to make the journey. We were too weak to walk. We, we could have never made it on our own. We're too broken to walk the road home. So God searches for us, and when he finds us, he doesn't scold us. He doesn't chew us out. He doesn't berate us or belittle us. He doesn't stand and point the shepherd in love picks up the broken, dirty, scared sheep, puts it on his neck, and carries it home. This is what God has done for each one of us here that are followers of Christ. And if you're not here, that's, that's what God wants to do for you. You don't have to make the journey by yourself. It's not about what you do, but it's about the shepherd carrying you back home. So we have a God that searches for us. We have a God that carries us. Man, what I love about, the, what I love about our God is he's also a God that celebrates us. He's a God that celebrates. We see this in verses 6 and 7. It says, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And I love this because we see that, that new life and salvation is so precious and so important to God that there's a party in heaven every time someone makes that decision. Think about it. Every church that's meeting in America right now, every time someone prays the prayer to come to know Jesus, every time someone says in their heart, man, I, I want Jesus. I want to know what that is. I don't understand it, but I want it. Every time someone do, does that, heaven just goes crazy. Heaven has a party. Heaven celebrates and rejoices. And I wonder and stay with me here on this one. I wonder if the reason why the party is so great in heaven over someone that comes home is because the sorrow is so great 
over someone who doesn't. And it's kind of like, if, I don't know, have you ever like, had really devastating news that turned out to be okay? You know, in this church recently, we've had people who have found tumors and masses growing, and, and you're just, you know, you're scared for the worst news, but then you find out that it's benign and not malignant. The joy, the celebration that happens. If you've ever had a bill, maybe, like you get this huge bill, like what in the world? And you call the company, it's like, oh, I'm, we're so sorry, that was a clerical error. Like, that's actually, you know, you don't have to pay that. That's already been taken. Oh, the relief that happens. And, and you multiply that just on an infinite scale over what God must feel because someone came out of death into life. Within the, someone was lost, but they're found. And heaven throws a party. And we're not talking about some lame office birthday party, you know, where everyone, you know, awkwardly sings happy birthday to you. Heaven throws a for real, like, MTV Sweet 16, you know, going all out. Heaven throws, there's a chocolate fountain. I mean, it is for real, people. There's a celebration in heaven every time someone comes to know him. And this is who our God is. And I think the temptation, it's real easy here to say, okay, so here's the three steps you need to reach people. But we are, I'm going to talk about that doesn't work. So what I want you to leave with today is, is this understanding, that the best thing you can do in your life to reach the nuns, we're talking about 70 million nuns and also the nuns in your life, the best thing you can do in your life to reach people far from God is to get closer to Jesus. Because as you get closer to Jesus, your heart will look more like his heart. And your actions will look more like his actions. And your vision will look more like his vision. And as we just talked about he's a God that searches and carries and celebrates. All of a sudden, as we get closer to him, we will become people that search and that carry and that celebrate. I talked to someone here at this church who got saved. And he said, my heart was filled with anger and hatred and bitterness. But as I, I've given my life to God and as I grow closer to him, I find that I'm loving people. And I care about people, and it's freaking me out because I've never had that happen before. I don't know what to do with it. And, and what's happening? His nature is being taken over because he's coming closer to the image of Christ. And that's the best evangelism tool there is. That's the best outreach tool there is. It's not some track. It's not some methodology. It's get closer to Jesus because as you do, your heart will change. He's a searching God, and as you get closer to him, you're going to be someone that searches. And we talk a lot about intercede, invest, invite in this church. And it's actually in this story. It plays out in this story. God's a searching God. And as we pray and as we get closer to him and as we begin to pray for people, he opens our eyes. And we're not unaware anymore. All of a sudden, I see that person on my ball team. I see that person at work. I see that person in my neighborhood. And they're not just another face, but I see them as the nun that God is a one to God. I see that person. I begin to pray for him. And God's heart, my heart changes for them. And that's what happens when we get close to the heart. We become people that search because God is a God who searches. We begin to carry people to God, just like Jesus did. And this is when we invest in people. And carrying people doesn't have to be some huge, super spiritual thing. It can be something extremely practical. It can be if your neighbor's car is stalled, you can just go check on it. Even if you're not a car person, hey, do you need help with anything? Just being offering to be available. You see someone's having a rough day at work. Hey, is everything going on? Or everything okay? What's going on? And listening and caring about it. You're, what you're doing is you're carrying someone to Jesus just by taking practical steps. There's someone in, in my life that my family's been helping, and, and honestly, I was beating myself up over it because 
we're, we're helping this person and investing and doing all this, but, but the person hadn't prayed the prayer yet. You know, I wanted them to like pray the prayer and I wanted to have that story that I could get up and share one day. Of, like, and, and then we invested and I led him in the sinner's prayer. And he said, it hadn't happened yet. And I feel like a failure sometimes. But what God is helping me realize is that just by doing practical things, just by investing and loving on him and buying him groceries when he needs it or, or just doing simple things like that, I'm investing in him and that has eternal consequence. That God can use that and that God will use those little things you do because you're not carrying them to a church. The idea isn't to bring them into church or a religious organization. The idea is to bring them to Jesus. And when you do that, you're pointing them to Jesus. And and as we get close to, to the heart of God, we become a people that celebrate. Man, salvation does not get old to us, but every time someone makes that decision, every time we see a baptism, there, you know what I love about this church? When, when baptisms happen, there are no golf claps here. Man, we go crazy. We hoop, we holler, we get a little undignified. Why? Because we remember when we were dead. We remember when we were the nun, and God's turned us to the one, and we see that in someone else. We can't help but get a little crazy. We can't help but get a little wild because that's who our God is. I want to tell you, we love the stories because at this church, we will celebrate the one. We will celebrate the one. 2017 so far, we've had over 20 people get baptized here at this church. Last Sunday, a woman named Claudia gave her life to Jesus and is going to get baptized. We celebrate every single one because every one used to be a nun. And every one matters to God. And so what we're going to do today to walk that out is something we've done several times here at this church. There is a prayer card in the seat back pocket in front of you. It looks just like this. I want to invite you to pull that prayer card out now. And at the top of this prayer card, there's some spots for names. And I want you to begin right now to say, God, who is the one that you've put in my life? And for some of you, you're going to have several ones, several people in your life. God, open my eyes to be aware right now of this person. And write down some names on there. First names only, or what, I mean, actually, you're going to keep this, you write however you want to. Write down the names of people far from God. You're going to write them at the top. And at the bottom, there's a spot for your name. And you're going to write your name, sign your name at the bottom. And at the end of the service here, in just a few minutes, you're going to bring the bottom part of this card. You're going to tear it off and bring the bottom part of this card and put it at the communion table. And you see some other cards that have already been placed here at the communion table. And what you're doing when you're doing that is you're saying, God, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got a long way to go. But I want to be like you. And I want to be made over into your image. And God, if you're a God that searched, and if you're a God that carried, and if you're a God that celebrates, then God, that's who I want to be too. And so God, work on my heart to reach these ones. Because God, every nun is a one to you. Every nun Every person in my life that doesn't know you, God, you haven't given up on them. You haven't forgotten about them. You remember them. And so, God, use me to partner with you, to search, to carry, and then ultimately, by God's grace, to celebrate new life. And that's what we're hoping for, and that's what we're believing God for, for our anniversary that God's going to open up doors that you think can't be opened, that God's going to do things in your life that you think can't be done. And you're going to invite 
And God's going to move mountains because he's a God of miracles.